Blog Talk Radio. Day, my brothers and sisters, fellow entrepreneurs around the globe. What a great day it is for business. Uh, this is ID2E Radio, Internet Business to Entrepreneur Radio Network, your guide to thrive in any economy. And I'm William Eastman. I am the Executive Director of the National Association of Management Consultants, and we are changing the formula of business success for all companies around the world anywhere from zero until you become market dominators. I'd like to thank you uh, for coming to our show, and I'm going to be your host for the next 30 minutes. If you'd like to participate and join, here's what you can do. Number one is you can go to our show page on Blog Talk Radio, B-L-O-G, B-L-O-G-T-A-L, Blog Talk Radio, R-A-D-I-O dot com, slash W. Eastman. Uh, excuse me. <laughs> I gave you my Twitter. Um, and then it would be I-B- 2E Radio, and that will get you to the page, and you can click the chat button and join me in the chat room. Second option is you can dial in, get into the switchboard, get on live, and that you can do that at 347-215-7471. That's 347-215-7471. Or you can uh, tweet me, and uh, I've got the uh, sidebar on Firefox open right now. And all you got to do is, um, I am at Twitter, and it's, uh, the extension is W Eastman, E-A-S-T-M-A-N. So anyway, thanks for joining. Let's talk about uh, today's show within the context of yesterday's show. Um, two days ago, we got back into the, into the groove talking about one of the three categories, uh, one of the four categories uh, of fast growth, fast and sustainable growth, and that had to do with your productive capacity or your operations. And so we did an overview um, on uh, two days ago. Yesterday we took uh, one of the, we took the first two best practices, which was information acquisition and knowledge dissemination, and we talked about those within the context of what does that mean? Um, how do we pull information in and store it, and then how do we either push it out inside the organization, or how do we make it available for people um, to request it if things that are not so common or things that we want higher level security on. And we kind of said that view that as kind of a mindset to approach this before we move to the next piece. Because today what's critical, and what we call today's show is um, create the standard, okay, create the standard by building it in. And so what this is, this best practice is known as process design. And when we looked at the companies, the companies who were clearly exceeding performance of all the others in the market, one of the things that they did is they had a very robust, very focused methodology for building process. And I don't care what process we talk about. It could be a marketing process, a sales process, a production process when you're manufacturing something. If you're a service-based company, it could be the service process. Um, it could be post-sale support. It could be inventory. You could go on and on and on and on. The same mindset, the same approach was applied every single time. Now, 
I, yesterday I hinted that we are going to talk a little bit about lean manufacturing, and I am, but I'm not going to talk about lean in that uh, I'm going to cover this topic, but I think this is the only time that you're going to hear me say lean manufacturing. So those of you who are well-versed in it, I think you'll hear, you'll hear the components of it. Uh, for those of you who have never heard of it before, that's okay. Um, I'm going to give you the highlights. Now, the way that I'm going to break this out, because what we've got here is, and let me count them. We've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven uh, attributes that make up this best practice. So the way that I thought I would handle that, because it is very difficult sometimes when you get more than three or four pieces of information, to handle it um, in a non-visual way, is I'm going to talk about this as a typical processor flow. I'm going to talk about is which of these attributes are related to input, which of these attributes are related to throughput, and which of these out, uh, attributes are related to output. So what comes in, how do we do it, what comes out. And so let me take that process, and I'm going to start with um, my first one. Yeah, would well, that make sense? Wouldn't it to start with the first one? The first one, in fact, these, fir these first two are more mindsets, a uh, way of setting the context. The first one is a new process equals the new standard. In other words, when you think about this, you're going to have to build something, and you don't have the infrastructure to do it. You don't have a process in place to do it. Well, how do you approach that? What this says, what all the best of the best did, the people who went from zero to become market dominators, is that when they design a process, their intention in building that process was just not to make something or to provide a service, but their, their goal was to create a new set of standards for quality, speed, and cost. So more than likely what they did is they had a pretty good handle on what the competition was doing. They did some sort of benchmarking or they simply paid attention to what was going on there and who was the industry leaders. Because if you if you listen to anything that I do and we and we talk about production, the the conversation you're going to hear from me time and time again when we talk about production is this. That is if you're going to make it as an organization out there, and especially you're going to make it in this particular environment, the only way that's going to happen is that if you are the lowest cost producer. And so another way of saying this is that these organizations, when they designed a new process, what they said to themselves was this. We're going to make sure that when we build this, we're going to set a new set of standards for the quality of what we produce and the amount of time it takes at the price tag. And it's a mindset that you approached it every single time rather than just slapping something together. The second attribute that makes this up, and it's kind of the input phase of the process, and that is the issue of minimizing management responses. Okay? Because what happens in a lot of organizations, especially ones that grow very quickly and they grow from small to large, is that in the early stages, most decision making is intuition based in that there's not a lot of facts available because you don't have the infrastructure to produce the facts. Well, what happens is that when things are based on intuition, then pretty soon they're based on feelings, nothing wrong with that, except that you get these kind of wild swings in what's happening. If you're going to build a process where you're going to, build, you're going to make something or provide a service, and you're going to produce something quickly, high quality, at low cost, Management cannot be indecisive 
in terms of constantly changing its mind is that once we've got this infrastructure and this system, is that management's decision-making has to be fact-based and has to be consistent because if they ask for something to be done that can't be done, you already have the process there. You need to think about that before you build it. So those are the first two attributes. Now let me take you over to throughput. And throughput is, uh, well, what is it that, uh, what it happens when we build a process, okay? So let me start with, um, with one of them. And that is the mindset of build it right the first time. Uh, and really, this reflects a, a kind of a paradox, is that organizations that spend a lot of money on quality typically spend their money on quality after the fact. They have quality control departments where they try to inspect quality into it. In other words, you have somebody looking at the output going, is it right? And what happens is if the emphasis around quality is all placed on the end result, is that you have already made it, you've already produced it, you've already spent it the time and the cost uh, involved with it, and now what are you going to do? Are you going to release it? Are you going to sell it? Are you going to put it out to your customers? I don't think so, not if you are if part of your brand is about quality. And so what that means, you've got to basically fix this and rebuild it. So I don't know if you send it back to the people that did it or you have a separate quality assurance department who is now going to fix this, but you see where I'm coming from. Um, inspecting quality in doesn't work and costs a great deal of money. What the best of the best do is that they say to themselves, we are going to make quality part of each step, and if it isn't right, it doesn't move on. And there's other things that you can do. You can do things like error-proofing to make sure that you can eliminate the amount of steps involved in the process, or you can ensure that mistakes can't be made if it's a repeatable process. But basically, the mindset is we're going to build it right the first time, and we're going to build quality in, in each step along the way. Um, let's see. The other part of that mindset is this one, and that is removing non-value. In other words, as we look at this process with this goal of building it right the first time, so let's say it takes eight steps to provide this customer service, I look at each one of those steps and say, if, if the cost of this wasn't embedded and I gave the customer a bill, and I gave them a bill for each one of these eight steps, would they balk at paying it? Um, and if you've got a step or two where they would go, oh, I think they'd really balk at paying that, then you've got to say to yourself, well, who does this step provide value to? Does it provide any value to the customer that we can charge for? If the answer is no, then maybe what we need to do is we need to consider pulling that out. So removing non-value and build right first time says that the company ensures all non-value activities are eliminated from the process. And build the right, time, uh, right the first time says you design the process, you build quality in, you try not to inspect it later. And that's how those two go together. Now, once I do that, now we have to do is we have to talk about the job itself and how the job is basically controlled. And so there's two here that I want to talk about. One is performance autonomy, and the other one is locus control. Now, performance autonomy is everyone has the freedom necessary to do the job right the first time. Um, in manufacturing, it is less critical than it is in customer service 
but that doesn't minimize it. In other words, if you've got somebody who has a job that's part of a process, how do you ensure that they have all the autonomy possible so they can do that job and do it right and they can use their knowledge and their information to get it done? If you overly restrict jobs like this, then what happens is that either one, one of two things will occur. Either one, it'll slow down production because every time this person has an issue, they're not going to make a decision. They're not going to solve it. They're going to stop the line and say, hey, somebody's got to come over here and tell me what to do. Or number two is what you get is you get kind of a, you get uh, people who follow orders to the point of sabotage and going, okay, I don't care what goes through here. I don't, I'm not in control of it. It's not my job. And that's how a lot of times when you say, when people say, well, quality is not my job, and you would say to yourself, that's kind of a crazy statement to make. It really isn't a crazy statement when you look at some systems where per people don't have the, auto uh, the autonomy to do the job. Okay? Now, the other part of this, in locus control, the other attribute, says that people focus their time and energy under, on things under their control. In other words, what we've done when we've designed this process between building it right the first time and removing non-value with the goal of, of making this basically a create a new standard is that we give people jobs that are wide enough that they have the flexibility to do it and get it done well using their talent, but also jobs that are focused enough so they're not worried about things that they simply don't have any control over. And if they should have control over it, you give it to them. But basically, this says is that people's focus and their time is on the things that are directly in front of them that relate to this job, and they have the autonomy to do it. All right? So at that point, let me stop here as we have made our way about halfway through and say that um, as we have about uh, 15 minutes remaining, let me stop and talk about uh, Naomi. And uh, we've been talking a lot about a lot this week about the National Association of Management Consultants. And I said in the intro that I am the, the executive director of. And it's really it's really an awesome week here that we've had. Is that we've just had our go live. Uh, the website is available uh, www.naomc.org. It's also on our show page, and you can click it over there. And basically what we have done is we've built an association for trainers, consultants, and coaches uh, who, are, who are serving not just all the markets, but specifically the smaller marketplace, the, the small businesses, the micro-businesses, the mid-level enterprises. And we're providing, we're providing support and services and a toolbox for all of them to use. And, and really the thing here is that and in our membership drive, is that you have access to world-class tools, and you can turn your practice into a major consulting firm because we've all been there when we've been up against the Deloitte Touche or, the, or Deloitte nowadays, McKinsey, the Accenture, and how do we compete against the big houses when we actually we provide better products and services uh, many times? Well, by joining the association, what that provides you is that it provides you access to a toolbox that equals if it doesn't exceed what they've got at their disposal. And what's, what's in it for you? Well, it, it allows you to expand your offer to your existing accounts that you can do far more. So when you're successful with this delivery and this relationship, what's next? Well, you have what's next, as well as it helps you win new business in a very tough market because for those of you who are not in this industry, uh, this economic downturn has been incredibly deadly. If you're interested and you'd like to join, you can go to the website 
or what you can do is you can call myself, uh, Bill Eastman, or Vicki Beach, and you can reach us at 804-767-1275. Okay, so thanks for that. Let's get down to the last few here. So what we've done here is I believe we've got, uh, we've got two more to talk about when we talk about the issue of throughput. So we said throughput. The mindset is build it right the first time, remove all non-value, make sure that people have both the, a wide enough control over the job as well as they're focused on the things that are important and they're not caught up in things they have no control over. What else? Well, how would I measure this? Well, you could do some things on employee satisfaction in that area, but I, I can tell you there's two places you can measure this, and these are two interesting, almost paradoxical metrics. One is, are you running, at what percent of capacity are you running? Or a different way of saying it, can you run for any period of time at 95% capacity? So in other words, what we're saying here is if you look at that entire process and you maximize everything that's in that process, what should you be able to produce or do if you ran at 95% over not just hours but days and weeks? And how close are you to that? And so that's one of the ways you can measure your throughput. And, I, and trust me, the, best, the companies that run uh, the best, the ones that have exceeded the marketplace, the ones who have grown regardless of the economy, are those companies that have been able to obtain levels that are 90% and above in terms of utilization of capacity. So that's one metric. The other one, the other interesting one, is the issue of cleanliness. Now you would say to yourself, what's cleanliness got to do with this? But let me ask you, is that what if you put the factory, whether the factory is an actually is in actuality a factory, or the factory was offices where you had people working in service jobs, what if the customers toured the facilities? Would you maintain them the same way? Now, that's an interesting question because most people would say, well, of course we would, and my response would be, why? Well, if you think about it, is a lot of times when we run at capacity, what we do is we have kind of, we just throw stuff at it. And what this says is that on the other side of this, is that we keep a very neat and very clean and very orderly work environment. Now, you may say to yourself, does it matter? And trust me, you look at every one of these companies, you can eat off the flaws uh, of their facilities. You will look at how somebody's business runs internally from the perspective of cleanliness, and it tells you how tight of an operation that they're running. I can guarantee you that if it's dirty inside, they're no place close to 95% capacity. Now, that leaves me with four left. And let's talk about output. So you do all this. What do you get? Well, in the perception of the customer, number one is they, per they perceive that you provide superior value. Regardless of what your price point is, what the customer believes is what, the, what you are providing them is better than anybody else. And so that superior value is that, is that the customer says, you know, when I look at what they have to offer, they really do build good stuff. They really do build great products or they provide great service. And then second one at that is that you want to ask that question a second time because you want to say, okay, now at the price point we charge, what type of service, what do we provide at price? And what you find here is not only do people believe that you provide superior value, but you definitely provide superior value at price. And what is interesting is if you maintain the position or obtain the position of low-cost producer, is that the scores that they give you on providing superior value um, 
our West End, or a different way of saying it is when we compare providing value with price against providing a superior value, your price score actually goes up because they go, they produce great stuff. But then when you look at the price point, you say, my God, how are they doing this? Okay, so those are two of the output measures. Now, internally, what are some of the measures? Well, there's two things to consider here if I'm going to measure this internally. One is we need to have, we need to provide excellent service with margins. Most organizations that are service-based don't make any money on service because the way they go about it is that they throw things at customers. You can't throw things at customers. It's not a matter of giving things away. It's not a matter of discounting. It's a matter of having a tight process and that what you have to do is that if you're in your value proposition, it is to provide superior value through service or your value proposition is, no, we're not in the service business. You still have to at least match what everybody else does. The service that we give our customers and our suppliers, we are making margin on those services. And that is the other metric that you can take a look at. Um, and that is flexible output. So now what we've got here is excellent service with margins. And then finally, we're going to finish this up with flexible output. Okay? And what this means is product and service processes are flexible and able to adjust to market demands. In other words, you've got that 85, you've got that 95% capacity goal that you've set for yourself, but also you're not locked into where we either got to run at full capacity or we really can't run the company or run the factory or we can't run this particular service process if we don't run it full bore or we can't make any money unless we run at 95% capacity. So what that gives us the ability to do is as the market changes, we can still change the, the, how much we produce and stay profitable. So let me kind of summarize where we've been here because there's quite a few. This says is that whenever you build a process, first of all, the best practice is name process design. When you build the best practice, when you build this, the first attribute you consider is any new process we, we make, we want to create a new standard. And that new standard is quality and cost and time. Increased or maintained quality, decreased time, decreased cost. And number two is that part of the other part of that input is that what management's got to do is once these processes are built, management's got to move from intuition and feelings to more fact-based decision-making. Then we get to the internal part of this, the throughput. And what, and what are we looking at? And what are two metrics that we can use here? Number one is we want to run as close as we possibly can to 95% capacity. Certainly, we want to run over 90%. When we look at everything that we have in place, how close to 95% are we? Because the closer you get the capacity, the lower the cost, the greater the margin. And again, I'm not talking just about factories. I'm talking about call centers. I'm talking about customer service. I'm talking about anything that has a process in it. And the other thing I want to measure is the cleanliness of what is going on. And as counterintuitive as that sounds, those two are great metrics to take a look at the throughput. The cleaner the operation is, it tells you the tighter the process or processes are. Now, what else can we take a look here? Well, let's get into the issue of we build the right the first time. Uh, we, we, our goal is to build quality in at every step so we don't have to have any quality inspection at the end because you can't inspect quality in. It just costs more. 
we constantly are focusing on removing non-value every time we look at a process or a set of steps. Is there anything here that we can take out that is not there? And one of the tests is that if you gave the, the customer billing for all the internal processes, are there any on there that they would balk at? They would just say, I, I ain't going to pay for that, because they are. Um, and we hide it from them. But if you had to make them pay for it individually, each item, which ones would they not want to pay for or not want to pay that for? that particular cost that you're going to give them, that tells you that perhaps there's a way of pulling that process out. And then we got the issue of, of where, how does the person perceive their role? And part of that is a performance autonomy. In other words, do I give them enough room and I give them enough flexibility and so that they can do the things that they've got to do, they can make most of the decisions that this job is going to demand, and they can do it without me. And if we take it, what we talked about yesterday is that when they need to make those decisions, they have access to the right information. The other side of that is making sure that I shield them from all of the BS that's going on, and so their focus is on the things that they can control, and all that extraneous stuff that may be going on is not getting in the way of these individuals that they can focus and put their performance on the job so that we can run at 90-plus capacity. Then on the other side, you say, okay, if we do that, what do we get? Well, we get two ways of looking at our output. One is in general terms, do, how do we, do we provide superior value? When you compare the features of our offer against the features of our competitors' offer, people perceive that we provide the best value. Then specifically, if we look at price and value at price, how do we do there? And you really want to do those two metrics because, for example, if you are competing on price, then the customer's perception should go up on the other hand, if price is immaterial to you and you are, say, Mercedes or Lexus, if, we, if I can use a car analogy, and, your, and value at price might go down a little bit, but if that's your price strategy, that's fine. But it's, you really have to ask that question twice when I look at output. On the internal side, the two things that this gives me, one is it gives me great service with excellent margins. Um, whether I sell service as part of the core offer or service is just something I bundle around the product. The issue is you've got people doing it. It's a process. We should be making money on it. And if you're giving away service and have it as a loss leader, then you're blowing this whole thing out of the water. You're not running at 95% capacity. You are certainly not providing severe value at price unless, of course, you have got positively no margins. And then the other thing here is the issue of flexible output. It's the other thing that this gives you is the ability to adjust your productivity and your output based upon the market. So that could be several things. One, it could be how much we produce, how fast we produce it, or what we produce. Because these types of processes also lend themselves well to say, we're not going to do X now, we're going to do Y, because what's happened is the market has, in fact, demanded that. And so those are the things that you get with process design. Now, for next week, our next show our night next week, tomorrow. I'm going to take the other side of process design and say, okay, we've built it. It's in place. How do we constantly improve? And we're going to be talking about process re-engineering on tomorrow, uh, tomorrow's show, because the, the thing then becomes is, uh, all right, we got it. How do we constantly improve it? Because just because it's the best now, it only means that it's the best now. So with that, what I'd like to do is I'd like to thank you for joining our show. And please check out our site at the National Association of Management Consultants, www.naomc.org, and check it out. And if you're in the industry, this would be a great place to join up. 
get a handle on the get get access to our toolbox and most of the shows that we've been featuring, such as this series on the best practices, is all out of the toolbox that we've been operating. Uh, our previous shows on the laws of business, the components or elements uh, of, um, of strategy from the companies that have been fast growth, uh, the series that we did on um, business growth cycles, all of that information is part of the toolbox only instead of it just being verbal and data. Uh, what really what it is here uh, with us is it's tools that you can use with your clients. So with that, success, wealth, and prosperity to all my colleagues, and uh, have a great business day. <laughs>